Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Well, hey love, what's the story? Ah, there you are now. What's the crack? Tell me this and tell me no more. Oh, stop waiting, I tell you. I have a bone to pick with you. I'm doing a line with her. Relax the cocks. Come up with a like. It's ballsy. Hello, hello, hello. Guess who is back? Oh, thank you all for being so nice um, and sticking by me as I took a couple of weeks off there midway through the season, living that travelling life and uh, trying to record in hostels. Not the most perfect aspect when you're in different sides of the world, but I'm officially back in Ireland and I have a fabulous guest to kick off the second half of this season. So I'm really, really excited to be back and look to see who else we can get throughout the next few episodes um, and I couldn't pick a more glamorous and gorgeous guest to have today. So um, if this is your first time ever listening to the podcast, hello, I'm Nicola and this is Tis Yourself and it's a podcast basically where I chat to some of our most Irish famous faces, UK, American, Aussie, basically people we know and love and try to get to know a bit more about them that maybe you don't already know. Uh, kind of chat to them in a very informal way you know I've no questions written down it's all just like let's go to flow and see what the crack is like and how we get on um, and some previous guests have included people like Matt Cardle and um, Montana Brown from Love Island Trisha's Transformation if you are Irish you'll know who that is Trisha Lewis um, of course we've had RJ Middy from Breaking Bad um, Packy Lee from Peaky Blinders just some of the names there and if you scroll back there's four seasons so hopefully at least one episode you might enjoy but you're here for my gorgeous glamorous guest today okay so this person activist bar owner drag queen queen of ireland actually let's add that in a uh, dancer um now a comedian i suppose slash we say playwright writer um you know documentarian you know radio host like Honestly, everything that this person does makes me feel like I'm the laziest pig in the planet. Like, I complain when I have to do <laughs> two podcasts in a week. I'm like, what? Oh my God, I'm so tired. And work as well. Come on. Um, so, of course, I'm talking about the fabulous Panty Bliss, a.k.a. Rory O'Neill. If you are, if you've ever been out in Panty Bar in Dublin, or Penny Lane, of course, um, Panty is responsible for both of them. Uh, she was just on Dancing with the Stars. She's just been an icon in Ireland for such a long time. Um, it was great to kind of chat about life before I suppose I would have known Panty and what it was like growing up in that era and trying to see the good side of maybe a time it was not so easy to be queer. And it was lovely, lovely, lovely to chat to her all about that. And then, to, you know, from the from where we were there to where we are now. So after taking a couple of weeks off, I wanted to come back with an amazing guest for you. And I think you'll really enjoy this. We had some crack. We talked serious. We talked, you know, we had big laughs. We had so much fun. Um, 
Panty is someone who is an icon in this country and has done so much for you know minor, um, minority groups, for young queer people, for older queer people, for creating safe spaces for for pretty much everyone. And I like so much respect for that. So let me just stop talking now. You're not here to hear me, are you? You're here to hear Panty. So whether it's your first time or you've been a fan of this podcast before, I hope you enjoy this episode. And it's so good to be back. I'll chat to you at the end of it. Hello. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm all right. How is post uh, the rock party? <laughs> um, you know, I've been better, but we'll manage. <laughs> oh, God. I saw a few pictures on Instagram, just the ones that people could share, obviously. And I'd say there's a few sore heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was saying in, when I was doing my introduction about you, obviously, I was saying, you know, we've got Queen of Ireland, we've got activist, we've got drag queen, we've got dancer, writer, playwright. You have a lot of, you know, arrows. <laughs> you now have a lot of things under your belt. Yeah, because I never really knew what I wanted to be. Do you know what I mean? I never had like a burning ambition to be one thing or whatever. So I've always just sort of muddled along. You know what I mean? Mm. Um and done whatever felt fun or right in the moment. Over time, I'd discover other things that seemed interesting or fun or other opportunities would uh, appear. Um, so there's never been any sort of plan in, mm. in any way. Um, like from the very beginning, like even the drag thing, it's so funny now because because of the huge success of RuPaul's Drag Race and all that, there's now so many drag queens and and young queers sort of think, oh, that's a legitimate career choice or whatever. Whereas it was you know, never like that in the past. And, you know, I never imagined for a second it would ever be a real job or that it could ever pay the rent or, you know, nobody did. You, 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 it was just something you were doing for the fun because it was stupid and fun. So for years, I always thought I'd eventually have to go and get a real job, you know, <laughs> um, and it just, you know, it didn't work out that way. But so, yeah, so that's why I've ended up just doing lots of different things because, you know, I was able to or it seemed interesting or whatever. Yeah. So like when you were little, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, I'm going to be a fireman or I'm going to be a whatever, a teacher and stuff. You didn't have that. You had no kind of set thing in mind. No, as I, you know, nothing ever seemed right for me or. Mm-hmm. And also, I think I get bored quite easily of things. So. Everything always seemed like, oh, I think that would get boring, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and uh, and in a way, also, I think um, one of the joys of being, you know, queer, certainly at that time, was that you were sort of absolved of all of these responsibilities, <laughs> you know, that strictly lad. <laughs> like, there was no pressure on you to get married, no pressure on you to have children. So you didn't really have to worry about those things in a perverse way that gave you a great freedom to just muddle on through you you know you only had to really be responsible for you know feeding yourself mm-hmm. so I think that allowed you know a lot of queer people like me to just explore and you know do things because we thought they were fun or interesting without having to worry about a bigger picture and that <laughs> that became even more true for me, you know, after I was diagnosed with HIV and they told me I was going to die. I was just like, oh, fuck it, you know, <laughs> I'm going to do what I like, you know. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting that that has kind of changed too. Um, not entirely, yeah. but there's certainly more pressure now on, you know, like if I was 21 now, I think my mother would be like, hmm. 
you know, waiting for me to bring home a fella and all of that. Yeah. And yeah, I think if you're I like you're gay, so why you're still getting kids? Yeah, you're still yeah. yeah. What's your career? Yeah, like I got married. Um, when did I get married? <laughs> twenty twenty nineteen. Would that be right? That could be. I love that. <laughs> I, I know. And uh, you know, my parents were fucking delighted. You know, to take another one off. <laughs> you know, and and that simply wouldn't have been possible. You know, when I was mm. younger. Um. So I think. You know, a combination of reasons means I've just always done lots of different things and hoped they'd work out. Yeah, I suppose maybe like being, you know, queer back, you know, 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, there's obviously a lot of negative sides, but maybe you're seeing the positives from that time where there was less pressure. And because everyone was talking about you anyway, you were like, well, I'll give them fucking something to talk about then. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like, um, you know, I wouldn't want to change things and go back although i think things kind of are slipping backwards at the moment but you know um you know i i wanted all the progress and everything and um and glad it happened but like everything in life there are there are two sides to absolutely everything hmm. and um and is it true that i have a small bit of nostalgia for the time when the gays were hidden away and you know were free to just you know, make up their own ways of being happy and, you know, all of that stuff. Yes, of course I do have a little nostalgia for that. It was so thrilling and exciting. Um, you know, the, the kind of places that I was going to when I was, you know, in my 20s, no one ever took their mother to them. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's fun. Whereas, you know, nowadays, you know, the young gays are always taking their mothers, you know, in to see Shirley Temple Bar's bingo or whatever. You know, it's a yeah. different world. And, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to go back to then, but I, I'm also, you know, clear eyed enough to recognize that there was also a bit of excitement about it too, that maybe is not so true anymore. Yeah, it's the, you know, the, not the taboo, that's the wrong word, but it's the secrecy. Like, you know, there was a lot of gay clubs that nobody knew about, or, you know, you, you only knew yeah. about them if you were in the scene and stuff like that. And so therefore you're not getting a load of like, straight girls like me coming in on the Saturday and be like, hey! <laughs> well, you know, it's like, I remember trying to find other queer people when I was in college. And, you know, you needed to be Jessica, Jessica Fletcher to find another gay, you know. It was hard because it was so hidden and secret and true. You know, it was a pain in the ass, but it also made it exciting when you did find them. Mm -hmm. and And the people you found there tended then to be you know, similarly reckless, you know, because um, they'd also managed to find the other careers. Um, whereas nowadays, you know, I'm sure your granny could probably tell you where the George is. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Because so it's just, it's another world. Um, and uh, for, for the most part, much better, of course. But for sure, there was a, there was a frisson that was lost in the change, which I have a little nostalgia for, yeah. Yeah, and like I suppose in a way you don't want to look back and only remember the bad and the hard times. Like, you know, you no. have to you want to when you look back at that time, you're seeing the good bits, the excitement, because what is the point in spending, you know, so much time I remember that time that bad thing happened or that person said something. Like Yeah. And the truth is you don't. The truth is I look back and I just remember the the crack and the fun and mm -hmm. the excitement of it all. You know, sometimes um I always remember this one my mother, she's 
you know, as a kid during the war, Second World War. And she spent um, the actual war years in a village in England. Her, you know, My grandfather had taken the family to England just before the war for work. And then he had a heart attack and died. Oh. And so my granny, you know, Dublin woman, ended up raising five kids during the war living in England and then brought them back to Dublin after the war. But, um, you know, my mother, when in her just... When we were growing up, if anything ever was referenced about stuff, my mother would tell these stories about, you know, getting chewing gum or sweets from American soldiers who were stationed around the village. And, you know, the things about rations and, you know, the things that they, ingenious ways they found around things and all that. And of course, it all sounds in those stories kind of exciting and fun or whatever. I remember once then sort of basically said, tell the same time, oh, she loved the war. Oh, and she, she nearly killed me, <laughs> you know, because they were the fun parts she was telling me yeah. about, but she, she didn't tell us about all the horrible, awful parts. But yeah, in, in a way, I kind of feel that about my, you know, my 20s, it's, you know, being Yeah, there. it's like... Um, you know, I remember the fun, nice things, but, you know, I don't bother, you know, you don't necessarily want to dwell on the, on the other parts. Yeah, it's like um, Lisa McGee writing about writing Dairy Girls. You know, she's like, yeah. yeah, I'm writing about a very sad time. But here's the really good crack we had as well. Yeah. Yeah. Crack is, you know, a universal mm-hmm. thing. And, um, you know, we find it in every situation. Yeah, like every dark, like especially Irish people, every dark circumstance. That's why sometimes like an Irish funeral can be the best crack in some ways because oh, you're yeah. so sad. So it's like, I'm going to be the person to make people laugh or, you know, bring up a really yeah. funny thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I'm i glad things have changed, but but in, in retrospect, I wouldn't change anything about the way, you know, I got here. Yeah. I'm not going to say we got here because for other people, their experiences were not fun and crack, but um, mine was, yeah. And I imagine like young people, as you mentioned today, young queer people who are thinking about, they can think about being a drag queen as a career. You know, there are there are so many opportunities for you when you were deciding to be mm-hmm. panty, like the very first time you decided to put on the wig or the makeup, like that was probably just a little act of rebellion, a little act of fun for you, unaware of where this path was going to go. Oh, absolutely it was. Um, and it remained that for a very long time. You know, I, I started first doing a bit of drag and nonsense when I was in art college. And it looked very different to, you know, to what, you know, panty nowadays. It was all very artsy and weird and nutty and influenced by sort of, you know, artsy performer types and all of that. And then over time, you know, a proto version of panty appeared and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I treated it all so Likely as such something I was just doing that night is a bit of stupidity that like I never chose the name Panty Bliss and it's a ridiculous name, a stupid name. And <laughs> um and it's a, and sometimes I'm the ass name, you know, people always, you know, they hear it for the first time and they think I'm some sort of burlesque, naughty, sexy act or something. <laughs> and and to American ears it's even worse, you know, because they're not panties and whatever, all that stuff. But I never gave it any thought at all. Panty was a nickname that I just Ended up, you know, one night I was part of a stupid double act in Japan called Candy Panty. Um, and they just started calling us Candy and Panty. Without, they weren't our names. Mm. Um, and the bliss part is once a nightclub suddenly changed its, you know, system for paying you. You had to fill out a form and there was a space for a surname and you had to put a surname 
on it. And so I was like, Panty. Bliss. Like, I was just like, I don't know why. Whatever, nothing. And then, you know, all these years I'm stuck with it because I never intended to be stuck with it. Yeah, I never thought beyond the next week, you know. So that was in Japan. So like, you never even thought like when I leave Japan, I'm gonna be bringing Panty home with me to to Dublin. Like this is just a, I'm living my best life at the moment. And each night as it comes is, if she comes out, she comes out. If she doesn't, she doesn't. Yeah, I kind of like, you know, in Japan, I was running around in drag all the time and, you know, getting paid somewhat, you know, like any sort of um, career in Mm. entertainment. It was up and down. Yeah, we were like, a, I was double act with an American queen and our kind of selling point is that we were foreigners, you know. Yeah. So we ended up in, you know, pop videos and, you know, adding a bit of exotic color to nightclubs and all of that sort of stuff. And then when I came home, um, yeah, I still didn't really, I mean, there was no, there was hardly any gay scene here. Mm. Homosexuality had only just been decriminalized. And on top of that, there was certainly no, there was no drag queens. So there's nothing for me to work at, really. Mm. And, but, you know, I, I quickly realized that I actually didn't know how to do anything else. I mean, I didn't know what else I could do. Mm. Um, I did some, you know, waiting tables. And then at nighttime, I thought, oh, there are no drag queens here. Maybe I maybe I can get somebody to pay me. <laughs> so I, I actually, what I literally did was I, um, I went out to every club night at the time in every nightclub around the straight ones. And, and I found the one that I thought, Oh, this one seems like is the one that would fit most to having a nutty drag queen running around being stupid and doing things. Uh, it was strictly fish, no strictly handbag, um, which was in the kitchen nightclub at the time under the Clarence hotel. Um, and I went there. So I said, and it was on a Monday night and it was kind of very mixed and nutty and, and I went there every Monday for a few weeks in a row and made myself the life and soul of the party. And then I said, pay me and I'll come every week. And that's, that was, the, you know, the first wow. sort of, you know, regular drag gig I got here. That's amazing. And people, their minds are blown. You know, there's a guy dressed as a girl sitting on a deck chair with a Mai Tai on the pavement and, you know, whatever, you know, whatever stupid stuff I was doing. Um, yeah. And the women so, were going, and his legs are so much more fabulous than mine. <laughs> you know, all that. So like, and it was all before social media and all of that. So um, I used to run around with a Polaroid camera and take Polaroid selfies because we didn't call them selfies at the time, but you know, with people. And I don't know, this is 30 years later or something. And I still fairly regularly, somebody will come up to me and say, oh my God, I still have a Polaroid of you and me on my fridge at home. Oh my God, that's insane. And like to think, fast forward 30 years, you own your own bars where, you know, you are the one, like obviously Panty's there some nights and also you're giving other people the opportunity to be mm. a drag queen for the night, you know, go up and, you know, we've seen yeah. di- I've seen so many different acts there. And yeah. You were like, you were someone who there was no drag in, in Ireland when you started. Yeah. No, there wasn't. I mean, there was Mr. Pussy. I'm still on the go. Mm. But Mr. Pussy, you know, was always like a, he was a drag for this straight cabaret circuit, you know, mm. like, like, you know, he would have gone to Ballinroe County May where I'm from at one point or whatever, you know, you know, he did that, that sort of circuit. So he wasn't really, you know, in the gay 
drag tradition that I come out of or whatever. And um, and at that time, when I was first trying to find work here, there was like two barmen in the George who used to sometimes throw on a wig and a dress on a Thursday evening called the Gorgeous George's Girls. Um, <laughs> but that was about it, you know. Um, so there was a few of them I might throw it on for a party or something. Mm. But there was no you know, shows. There was no you know, regular queens of any kind, really. And then it wasn't as a good few years then before, like, you know, the alternative was Ireland started up and that sort of encouraged a lot of people <laughs> to get dressed up. People like Veda and Shirley and all that came out of that. Um, and then it was another 20 years before this recent drag explosion and you can't walk down the street without hitting a few drag queens. Yeah. Drag brunch every Sunday. It's like, where am I going? Yeah. Which one am I going to? Britney brunch? Am I going to this yeah. one? You know what I mean? It's like, but it's amazing to think like so many young people now today are grown up and they have never, as you mentioned, like homosexuality being decriminalized, probably didn't realize how, some people mightn't realize how short ago a time that was, even like 1993. Yeah, like 93. That was 20. Seven or something. I just quickly do the math. Uh, you know, I was born in 68. So like I was you know, well past my college years and everything mm-hmm. before it became legal, which is always, you know, such a nutty thing to try and explain to younger people. Yeah. Like every time I got late and I was a college student, it was literally against the law. <laughs> that kind of gives it a sexy aspect though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're you like, know, I, I I enjoy a bit of Catholic guilt. You know, I don't want to do filthy things to people and then, you know, consider it just, you know, r- every day and, you know, an ordinary. I don't want to be German about sex. I want to hold a little bit of Catholic guilt always because I think that makes it a bit more exciting. Yeah, you're I like, or I just have to go on and say. Yeah, the Hail Marys, how many do I have to say? <laughs> mm, how many times do we have sex? Let's think about it. Okay, that's how many. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but like, I like, I obviously think it's amazing that young people are growing up in this, you know, version. And not that I'm saying that it's easy to be a young, you know, queer person at the moment. Yeah. Like, but for them. I think at the be, moment, it's actually very hard. All this yeah. weird slip back that's going on. And especially because young people are on social media. So they see all this weird stuff that has suddenly come bubbling up in the last year or two again. Yeah. I know. And it's like, like without being specific about it, like you've seen, you know, people, you know, famous people being kissing in a nightclub that goes viral on TikTok. And then you start going, hold on, that's a safe space for young queer people. And who's in the background and who's that person kissing? And yeah. are they aware they're being filmed? And like, it, this isn't a novelty act to people kissing. Like, why are we filming this? Yeah. And also like, you know, who cares? It's nobody yeah. else's business. You know, as long as, you know, his fella is fine about him having a drunken snog on a dance floor with some cutie, then yeah. it's nobody else's business. How do you feel about, um, you know, because obviously, you know, as a, a straight girl who's like an ally, I suppose, like, you know, we obviously come a lot to your bar. We go to the George and stuff because we find these bars to be safe spaces. Yeah. But like, I'm sure the queer people are like, will you just leave us alone for a night? Um, you know, that's not true, you know, generally. I mean, of course... You know, like, for example, there are some, you know, parties and club nights where you would probably feel a little bit awkward. And, you know, I've been told there's um, certain nights I'm not invited. They all have their leather harnesses on or whatever. That's separate. But like, you know, the regular bars like the George and Pantamana, 
you know, straight guards have always found those spaces comfortable. And, you know, and the gays have, have never had a problem with that. Like when I, the first gay nightclub that I sort of used to go to regularly here in Dublin was, used to be called Minsky's. Um, later in its life, it changed its name to Shaft. And, um, and, and eventually it became like a sort of a ecstasy clubbing type of place. But when I first started going there, it was your classic old school hidden, you know, in the days before um, legalization. Um, and it had like a, you know, a, a dark little dance floor in the basement. And then on the ground floor, it was like a, a Georgian room where the bar was, you know, in. And I went there and um, I used to laugh, you know, that, you know, the, you'd walk in. Oh, and, and, and this is back in the day when you couldn't serve beer. You know, everything had a restaurant license. Oh. So, yeah, no, that was... Until around the same time as decriminalization of homosexuality, you know, nightclubs in Ireland, you couldn't, you couldn't buy beer. They only had restaurant licenses. Mm. Then they had to bring out the food and all of that. And they could only sell wines. So um, you'd go in there anyway. I'd go in there and there'd be like two leather queens and Anne Doyle propping up the bar, <laughs> you know. Um, and that has just always been the case. Um, so I don't think the queers in general have any problem um, with that. I think when it does become a slight problem is when it becomes so popular with, you know, groups of straight girls or straight guys or whatever, that that it changes the atmosphere of the space Mm -hmm. from being a queer venue. You know, the very thing that attracted you in the first place, if that balance is then disturbed. So it's not about, you know, I don't think anyone has ever had to, problem and with straight girls in you know a big noisy gay bar um but if you go in and you know 50 percent you know that sometimes happens you see you know you know various towns or places you know you know and it can sort of it kills the actual atmosphere that made women feel safe in the first place mm-hmm. you know um so it's not about you know straight women being gay bars it's about the, the balance that is mm. still there. So, um, yeah, it's just it's yeah, one of like, those things. You don't want the queer people to be in the minority in their own safe space, really. Yeah. Or you don't want them also, sometimes there can be a bit of a, um, I mean, not often, but sometimes it can be a bit of a, oh, we're going in here. And then, you know, strange, you know, girls that you don't know then suddenly are being over from you because they feel suddenly so safe and so free. And that's that the thing it's fine to grab you and you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, not okay, girls, okay? Unless it's your yeah, own friend yeah. and they're okay with it. <laughs> yeah. But no, I don't, you know, I mean, it's a cliche because it's true, the gays and their straight girl besties, you yeah. know. Um it is a cliche, but it's also, it's fucking true. Every gay will tell you about the girls that saved his life, you know, many times over and, you know, held his hand while he was crying over some handsome asshole, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think sometimes people get all, these discussions about that, hen parties and that just get overwrought sometimes. Um, not generally a huge problem, I don't think. Yeah. And like, how, how amazing is it for you looking at, you know, we are everything you've done to know that you have created this, these bars and made these safe spaces for, you know, other young people and compare and compared to like, as you said, these hidden bars that you have to go into that you couldn't even get a beer yeah. in, which I'm so thrown by. 
I don't know what, it was still in the mid-90s of that change. And you could not go, every nightclub was actually just a, a restaurant operating late at night and wow. they just, you know, stopped all the famous Leeson Street ones and everything. But that's why they had to serve food and to keep mm. the promise of their license. And they're all operating with restaurant licenses. So they can only sell wines. Um, so like you get a glass of red, a glass of white, or a Campari that was considered, you get Campari and orange. That's what they used to drink in Minsky's, Campari and orange. Um, and it's very hard to get sexy on a dance floor while you've got a Cabernet in your hand. Do you know what I mean? Like it just say. Like, and you don't yeah. want to get white wine drunk too quickly in a nightclub yeah. because that's messy shit. <laughs> Yeah, like Irish nightclubs used to like know all the best cheap bottles of wine because, you know, obviously they weren't, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, it was totally, yeah, it was insane when you think about it. Well, like, you know, I opened Panty Bar because, you know, I was getting to the stage where I was in, you know, where I wanted to get out of the really late night throwing yourself around, you know, in a nightclub drag because, mm. you know, I was approaching 40. And, um, you know, and what do aging drag queens do? You know, it's a... It's a sort of a conundrum. Um, and so I started getting into doing the theater stuff more and writing, you know, shows. Um, but then the other, well, you know, well, I had no idea whether how well that would go or whatever. Um, but, you know, what do our aging drag queens do? Well, you know, a bar is the kind of obvious one because we spend our lives working in bars and nightclubs. Mm-hmm. And I had spent my life, you know, promoting club nights and parties and, working in bars and clubs and doing the events and all that. So, um, you know, I was super familiar with them and I had spent many years, you know, filling them for other people. Mm. Um, so when the opportunity came along, all right, I'll, I'll give this a go, but you're right. I do love it. Um, because, you know, basically the gay scene gave me everything. Um, you know, it saved me life when I was younger by introducing me to other queer people and it gave me all the fun in the world that I've ever had. It also gave me my rent and, <laughs> you know, everything else, like everything I am and have, you know, uh, in that part of my life came through the gay scene, through mm-hmm. other gays and the places that they gather to have fun. And so, um, you know, having you know, my own one um, and, you know, making Pantabar what it is, is it, yeah, no, it's, you know, I, I love it so much. And I, what I, I love the idea that, you know, there are lots, you know, Pantabar is more than 15 years old. It'll be 16 years old in this year. Um, that there are lots of queer people now um, who sort of grew up in Pantabar in a way, at least they're, their queer selves grew up there. Um, and they think of it um, in the same way that I look back and think of Minsky's and um, the original George bar um, yeah. and uh, all of that kind of thing. And the, the nightclubs I ran around in Tokyo and everything. Um, I mean, that, yeah, that's lovely to me. And, and you know, amazing to me. Um, and then I should just point out this word wasn't just me, Shane Hart, who's the, been the manager since before we opened, you know, um, he was the one, you know, pumping water out of the basin to be me, you know, before we opened and all. So, um, and he's still there and is, um, you know, my partner in Penny Lane and 
soon to be my partner in Panty Park as well, whatever. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we're very proud of what we've done there and delighted about it and that it all worked out in the end. Although it nearly didn't, of course. Because, oh, really? uh, well, Pantavar opened six months before the economic crash happened. Oh, um, oh God. So we had it's a like couple of decent months. <laughs> and then we had five years of absolute stress and pain and worry. Um, and came within a hair's breadth of closing on a number of occasions. Um, yes, because you basically within the space of a year, so half of our customers emigrated and the other half stopped going out for fear of, you know, what was the future was hold and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the other issue we had near the beginning is um, it took a very long time to make the gays comfortable with crossing the river. <laughs> 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 like, you know, for so long, that little triangle, you know, Dame Street, Parliament Street, Georgia Street, you know, and getting the gays to wander out of there, um, yeah, it was it was an effort, but eventually they got over it, thank God. <laughs> and now there's the Rainbow Bridge between Parliament Street and Cable Street, yeah. just so everyone knows that, which direction to go, whatever yeah. side they're on. <laughs> but the other thing I love about Panthbar, obviously I've been there, you know, numerous times with my gays and stuff like that. But the other thing I love is that you are welcoming to um, other things as well, because you do a lot of donation drives for you know refugees yeah. and the homeless and stuff and that's another side of things like there's that's amazing to show that kind of side as well i mean there was a concept about the bar from the beginning and the concept was to make a uh, you know around the time that we were opening so it was the very very end of the boom uh, we soon discovered but uh during all those boom years everything got taken over and made bigger and glossier and um and, you know, and early in the nineties when I got started, it was quite easy to just throw, you know, throw up a club night and get people to come. Um, because there was a lot of empty spaces or half used spaces or, and so you, you got, you just found a space, you paid somebody a few quid to borrow it for the night and you could do all sorts of nuttery and crazy stuff in there. And you went out in the street and handed out flyers and whatever. So. There was a sort of DIY culture about having fun and club nights and events and all of that. And then over the boom years, all of that got sort of crushed. Um, all the spaces were bought up and turned into offices or, um, you know, turned into giant, big, shiny places that didn't want some queer kid, you know, coming in with a few quid, to, you know, tired for the night. Um, so all of that was sort of erased. And by the end of the boom, you know, there was almost none of that. It was almost impossible to just, you know, have this sort of DIY, mm. um, you know, fun. Um, and so by the, t- so when I was opening Panty Bar, the concept was to make a modern version of the classic old school community gay bar. Um, so, we always said, people can come up and put your posters for any old stupid event. You just, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, that we would have the table quizzes for the, you know, lesbian football club or the gay tennis club or the, you know, the hill walkers and the local community groups, you know, the, you know, the gay telephone coming out line or the, you know, whatever. Yeah. Community stuff that always has to happen somewhere. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so that, that was always part of the the ethos of the vibes of art. But to do that in a place that also seemed you know, modern and, you know, and had a, its own aesthetic and mm. all of that. So to sort of take the take the the vibe of one of those real old school places that you go into, you know, with the community notice board and all that, and then put it in a place that was also, you know, a fun modern yeah. bar. Um, and you know, that ethos hasn't changed. That is still what Panty Bar is supposed to be, yeah. Yeah, and it kind of adds into your, I suppose, your activism. I mean, I've seen you before saying that you're like an accidental activist and stuff like that. But like, you have been very vocal and helpful to different, you know, not just like the, you know, the Margie Quality, where obviously, you know, that's what people automatically associate you with and obviously with the documentary and everything like that. But there's other, this sort of thing, going for donation drives or, you know, you've been very yep. vocal about HIV and that, like, these are all important topics and you've, Fair play to you because I remember like Marge Ref and the abortion referendum. I was exhausted after like any sort yeah. of campaigning or like trying to talk to people about it. By the end, I was drained by that. So like you yeah. do it so well and yet you pick up the next, you know, problem and you, you're like, okay, I'll embrace this. What's next? Well, I mean, like I always say, I'm not working down a mine, you know, <laughs> um, you know, things being hard and everything is all very relative. <laughs> and, um, um, so, um, but yes, not to sound like too much of a wanker, but I absolutely believe in intersectionality. <laughs> and, um, I think all of these things are interconnected and connected in the same way. Um, and I think the proof of their connectiveness is, you know, these people who are against these things, they're against all of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, if they're against, you know, um, reproductive rights for women, they're also against the gays. They're also against immigrants. They're also against, um, you know, everything. Um, so these things are all connected. And I don't see how you can concern yourself with one without concerning yourself with the others. Um, now, I do also say that for the sake of your sanity, you can't worry equally about them all. Yeah. Um, oh, because that is just, you would just spend all your day in a, in a you know, in a crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, obviously there are some that will intersect with you more personally somehow or whatever. So I think if you can focus on those and, um, but also be aware that every now and then you can give a dig out to some of the others. Um, yeah. But sometimes um, I mean, I find that a little, you know, hard sometimes because um you know, and people want you to help with, with, with everything all the time. And of course you want to. Sometimes I think, you know, you know, I might get asked you, and I, I think I'm just not the right person. Mm-hmm. You know, that's far, that's too removed from my experience or something maybe for people to take me seriously on it anyway. Yeah. Um, but also I think sometimes you just, yeah, because you really could just spend every day, all day, every day, um, you know, screaming internally yeah. about all the things. Yeah. Um, and so. It's like you see something and you make progressions in one sense and then you see something 
that sets it all back, like, or whatever. Like I have, yeah. I don't know if you've seen um, the Irish small company, Wall Hello. They made a bag, oh, yeah, yeah. and I have it, um, out of your quote, um, of the yeah. guard clearance to tell you to yeah, fuck off. Yeah, I have yeah. that on a bag. I'm carrying it around with me. I love it. But like, <laughs> I love that you took on that because you're like, okay, this is something that's very connected to you. Like this idea of yeah. people turning against drag readings for children and stuff. Yeah. You're like, sorry, hold on a second. And like, yeah, I can get that. But then I can also understand why the next day you might have to turn down something else because that's mentally draining to go up against that rhetoric for a whole day. Yeah, I'm just, um, I know you have to keep something for yourself too, or some of your energy for yourself, whatever. And then of course, but but I do think it's important, you know, when, when uh, some of these things sort of bubble up to the, to the mainstream consciousness for a moment or whatever. Like at the moment, there's a lot of people obviously talking a lot about immigrants and refugees and, uh, and the trans community. They're the two that at the moment are getting a lot. I think then, yeah, it is important that everybody actually stake their colors to the mass then, you know, but yeah, um, it's impossible to worry about all of them all of the time. You know, you spend all day worrying about climate change and racism and, other bigotries and mm. homophobia and transphobia and reproductive rights for women and blah, blah, blah. You just like, yeah, every now and then you have to turn it off and go to the cinema, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you can't and, be the best uh, activist that's, for that's people okay too. if you're yeah. worn out. You need to have, you know, you need to take a step yeah. back and you also need to learn as well. Like you can't know everything. Yeah. So you need to sit back and go, yeah. wait, before yeah. I comment, let me make sure I know what yes. I'm talking about and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you can, you know, and you can be the better better person to you know you know to talk about it, yeah. but you can't be you can't be the best person for all all genres, yeah. I suppose. 100%. Yeah. And from talking like you know, obviously that's all very serious stuff. And then the completely other side of your personality is obviously the glitz and the glamour, and we saw that recently. You decided to take on another challenge and dance on national <laughs> TV, which I'm obsessed with. I'm like, this is unreal. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, they actually did ask me a few times and I said no and other times without really even having to think about it much because in general, like all you know, freelance people in the arts and all that, your, your, your calendar is filling up with bits and bobs, you know, mm-hmm. quite far ahead. And so in other years they'd ask me and I was like, oh, I can't block off, you know, four months or three months or, um, you know, and say, well, oh, I'll definitely be in the country then or whatever. And, uh, and you know, I'd look at my calendar and see that already there'd be things, you know, through there. But this time they asked me very early on and they asked me as you're coming out of the pandemic and all of that lockdowns. And, and so for once, you know, my diary was clear as a runway, you know, because, you know, things were only just you know, maybe beginning to start to return and, and I think people were still also even just doing a lot of penciling in because, you know, we didn't know it was all over or whatever. So for the first time, I said, well, actually, I guess I could now because there's nothing there um, or certainly nothing that was going to take me out of the country or anything. So, um, And then I, I did a bit of due diligence and I asked around a few people who'd already done it or whatever. And, and they all said the same thing, you know, oh, my God, it's amazing. It's wonderful. I, you know, one of the best experiences of my life, blah, blah, blah. And, and, um, and they all said they got skinny and I had piled on weight over the lockdowns and I was like <laughs> struggling to go get back to my normal weight. And, um, 
so you know and of course it's the chance to sort of what was appealing was a chance in a way it, you were just talking about giving time for yourself or whatever in a way it was appealing to me to say right I'm, i'll just block off these three four months whatever you know or and minimize as much as i can all my other stuff and just focus on this one thing that has nothing to do with all of the stuff that i'd normally be doing and mm-hmm. um, although of course encrypting but <laughs> all the other stuff but um, um you know that that was appealing to me too mm. um so for you know for various reasons i i you know i decided okay i'll, I'll do it um and you know and the people i asked who'd done it before they weren't wrong it really is a you know sort of wild experience it's 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 a very full experience doing that because um it absolutely takes over your life completely mm-hmm. for those four months and you're eat drink and sleep dancing and steps and all of that and it's a bit like going on a holiday camp when you're a kid or something like you're suddenly thrown into this very intense experience um you know with this group of other people you've never met before um you know and you're spending eight ten hours a day locked in a room with somebody you didn't know before you know mm-hmm. and you become incredibly close with that person very quickly um partly because literally the first day you have to just throw yourself into their arms and you're <laughs> hanging on to them physically for the next few months. Um, you know, you're learning this thing and it gets tiring and frustrating and you get so physically sore and tired and painful, but you have to keep going and you'll get days where nothing is going right and you can't retain anything. And then you have a big row with your partner and you, you know, and then you have to kiss and make up and get back <laughs> to it. And, and then you have to do this thing that you're very not comfortable with in front of all these other people and on live television. Like, yeah. you know, it's just it's a lot. Um, but it's, you know, it's a very full, intense experience, but it's, it, it is very fun and exciting. And yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm glad I said, yeah, I don't regret it. It's all good. I imagine stopping that, like when you leave the show, it must be a very weird experience because you're so used to getting up, and you're like, it is it's all about um, the dance. You know, the people I'd asked who'd done it before, they all basically warn me that, you know, when it ends, it's so sudden and you have been, you know, you've just been, come so used to, like every moment you wake up, you go to the studio and you sweat all day and you're learning this stuff when you're thinking ahead to the already about the week after and having fittings for costumes and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And you're meeting these people all the time and you know when you go home you're lying there trying to get to sleep you're going over the steps in your head and you know it's just it's constant and then one day it's just off it's been turned off and um yeah now i was lucky that you know i got to the second last week so i only had one week of absolutely sort of nothing mm. and um and I spent most of that week just drinking with Dennis, his partner. <laughs> he had a lot of free time as well, suddenly. Um, and so, and then now, you know, that, you know, the finals of the day, um, this feels a bit more of a a normal end or something. Mm-hmm. And also I'm going on holidays tomorrow. It was months back. Um, I was like, oh my God, I can tell by, by the end of this. So we booked a holiday Right after the finals, I'm going to Tenerife tomorrow. Lie around, and I, I've become such an old lady. I went into Cassidy's travel. Um, 
I went to an actual travel agent and I walked in and I said, I want sun, uh, you know, a hotel by the beach. I want to be able to walk onto the beach. I'm not getting a taxi to the beach. Um, (laughs) I want to be able to order a drink by the pool or even preferably from the beach. Um, You know, and in the evening, I want to be able to walk a short distance into a little (laughs) town that has restaurants and just choose restaurants. And for, you know, eight days or whatever, I want my only thoughts to be, where am I eating tonight? Yeah. And, you know, what time will we wobble onto the beach? <laughs> and they showed me all the options. <laughs> you know? um, so, yeah, I'm off to Tenerife tomorrow with the fella. That's, I love those holidays. You know, when you go somewhere like Tenerife, where every normally people, if you go on holidays, people are like, oh, have you climbed that mountain? Have you visited that museum? And you're like, you feel guilty if you don't do it. So I love if you go like, yeah. I'm going to Mallorca, Tenerife, Lanzarote, everyone just goes, oh, cool. Like they don't expect yeah. to do anything else. <laughs> well, I have been told I have to go up the, ma- the volcano. Oh. And everyone said to go to the water park. Right. Okay. Well, a water park, I can see that'll be a bit of crack. Yeah, no, I'm definitely going to the water park. Whether I go up the volcano, um, we'll see how it goes. Well, you've definitely earned it because, as you said, you were in there till the second last week. Your bones must be exhausted. And I'm sure you haven't seen the fella properly in like, you know, I know you've seen him this week, I suppose, probably, but like, it's a lot of coming home late and being like, I know, this week is, I was out drinking with Dennis a lot. So, no. <laughs> You're like, I'll see you on holidays. I don't need to talk yeah. to you till next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in between this all, are you have you written or are you still writing your show that's going to be in Vicker Street? Um, it's mostly written in the sense that, so I did this show um, in the Abbey in the, on the Peacock stage um, mm. just before all the dance started. And actually, the slight crossover, we were starting to, we had started training while I was still doing the last few shows in the uh, Peacock. So it's essentially that show. Um, but obviously, um, Baker Street has a different vibe and all of that. So we're going to be adding a bit more pizzazz um, to the to the Abbey version. Yeah, I can imagine a little bit more. Um, you can be a little bit ruder and a little bit more glitzier when you're in Vicker Street as opposed to the. It Abbey. was pretty rude already. Like I don't think it needs to be any ruder, but you know, it, it needs to be a little bit bigger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Abbey. My vibes when I go to the Abbey are: I'm going to wear something very serious. <laughs> when I'm Vicker Street, I'm like, <laughs> how many pints am I getting to bring down to the table? <laughs> yes. Well. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the show is already in the pints area, so right. um, I don't need that much changing. Yeah. And um, it'll it, like, is it a, you know, is it a st- so people who don't know about it, is it going to be like a story? Is it a stand up comedy? What kind of vibes are they going to expect if they go? Um, it's the same vibes as my other theater shows, which is essentially it's um it's a monologue um, with a bit of theatrics thrown in. Um, and it's 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 basically um stories and rants and um these stories vary between stupid and nutty and hilarious and and emotional and deeply touching life changing and <laughs> and there's a thread that they all end up you know um they all go, end up going in the same direction Yes, I love it. it sounds fantastic. <laughs> with, with as you said, with pints, now that we can drink beer, and yes. we can have some gl- glitz and glamour as well up on the stage, yep. and some rudeness as well. So the tickets are on sale. If anyone is listening and they want to go and get some, the tickets are on sale. Yes, Vicker Street, May fourteenth, and then um, 
It's yeah. definitely then going to Soho Theatre in London for a couple of weeks. And um, and God, I don't know how much there are. Anyway, and, uh, and other... I'm not, I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to tell you at this stage because they have, you know, like all these things, it's all very strategic, the mm-hmm. PR people. Oh, like anyway, with- uh, other um, foreign and Irish dates will be uh, revealed. But you can definitely say Vicar Street and then Soho Theatre in London for a couple of weeks. Um, and yes, and whatever else we're allowed to say at this stage. Well, like it's you. I imagine there will be sellouts. I was in Sydney for World Pride there um, last month, and people oh when they heard God, I was yeah. Irish were asking me about you because you were um, Grand Marshal of the parade there a few years ago. I've been in the Mardi Gras parade, I think six times or something. And um, no, it wasn't my but but I think one of the years we won. You know, they, they take it so seriously; it's a big dealer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won the you know best float thing, whatever. And I've been in it quite a few times, and. Um, before the pandemic, I used to go to Australia at least once a year, really, I think, um, with my, these theater shows. So, um, I, am, I, uh, presume, assume that, that eventually sometime <laughs> that can be revealed when the PR people say so, um, this show will be going to Australia too. Yeah. Well, if you need someone, I'm already missing it. So if you need someone to come and like, <laughs> and hold the wigs or anything, tell me I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, it's been absolutely fabulous for we're chatting to you. And I know you're dying to get into holiday mode. Get yourself all ready. Get the bags packed. So yep. let you go. Listen, right. it was lovely to chat to you. And thanks nice for giving me so much of your time. No worries. Bye. 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 Have a great holiday. I will. I will. All right, my lovelies, wasn't that a great little chat there with Panty, of course. Thank you so much to Panty and Rory, of course, um, for chatting to me before they went off on holidays. So, yeah, it was lovely to kind of catch up and hear the Dancing with the Stars, obviously, is the most frequent, uh, the most recent thing. And, of course, then all about chatting about what life was like back in the day. Like, lads, is it just me that was really, like, thrown by this beer thing? Like, I know, I know we were talking about much more serious time that, you know, where, you know, it was very hard time to be queer and, you know, all the, like, you know, homosexual being, being against the law. And yet here's me going, but come here, you couldn't have beer in a nightclub. What's that about? What would I do? Like, what would I do if I couldn't go and, go and get a Corona now? Or after being travelling, if I couldn't get a Chang? <laughs> Anyone who's been to Thailand will know that, what how important the Changs are, especially the, the large ones, the big Changs. Um, and my body is 90% of these types of beers after the last few months of travelling around the place. Um, but of course, you heard me there chat about Panty's show. So it's called If These Wigs Could Talk. And it is on the 14th of May in Vicar Street. It's on the 17th and 18th in the Mac in Belfast. And then, as you heard, it's on in the Soho Theatre in London. So that runs from the 26th of May to the 10th of June. And, you know, there there is a chance there's a hint that maybe it'll be going to some other places and let's just say if you hear that I'm booking to go to Australia that Panty has taken me up on my offer that I'll mind the wigs <laughs> um, and and tickets are available for all those shows right now so go and get them you can uh, go to Panty's um, any Panty socials and you'll see the links there or uh, if you go to each of the individual um arenas so Vicar Street etc you'll be able to get tickets there so I really hope you enjoyed that chat like I had really good crack and as always I'm so I loved hearing how you guys 
uh, what you thought of it so do send um, send me a message like we're on Tis Yourself is on Facebook Twitter and on Instagram so come follow us on any of those platforms send me a message would love to hear what you think and I'm just so delighted that you guys are here listening today because I felt bad when I wasn't able to release episodes while I was travelling um, in the last kind of stages of my travels it was just so awkward trying to record when, like, if you're share, anyone who's shared a dorm with people know, you can, you just can't do it, you know? So it was just really good to get this chat and to be able to now get back into my little schedule of doing these for you every Saturday. Um, and to all the new people who've come and listened today, thank you so much. And can I just remind you, so I was doing, the podcast is two years old this month. Eek! Um, and uh, I have a little couple of giveaways. So um, for... If you have a man in your life, or you are a man, whatever it is, and we have some men's skin care to give away from um, the Handmade Soap Company, which is an Irish company, of course, and they will ship that to anywhere in the world for someone to win it. We also have a pennies voucher, and um, for anyone going to New York or anyone who's in New York listening to this, we have an amazing drag brunch worth $150, free drink, free food, and free drag. So I think this episode is perfect for it. Um, all you have to do to win any of these gifts is to go onto the Instagram you'll see a post for each one so you'll see the Penny's Voucher one you'll see the one for the Drag Brunch which is in a more loco uh, in New York just off Times Square there so and it's run by a, a fabulous Irish woman who will uh, com- will definitely look after you the lovely Terry there um, and of course send the stuff from Hamid's own company so these will all be they're all for grabs doing it for the whole month of March because it is our second birthday so all you have to do it's very simple you have to follow <laughs> the Instagram account and just share that you're listening to any episode of the podcast on your story. So just whether it's from Spotify, you can just share it directly from Spotify or you can send a screenshot if you're listening on another app onto your story. Tag tis yourself. If you are, if you're kind of private, just DM me with your, the screenshot of your story. You're in the draw. And then at the end of March, I'll just be picking someone to send these out to. So each one is a separate prize. You can enter all of them if you like. But I just want to give back to some, to you lovely people for listening to my podcast for helping me get to two years and for like just being so supportive and I love it and I love you all and now this is enough talking for me I haven't talked in a microphone like this for a few weeks so I'm going to go and try and recover from my travels and I look forward to being back with you next week Salon.